Hi there, and welcome to episode number 343 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today are Amanda, Elise, and Carrie, also of Smart Bitches Trashy Books. It's our first book club episode. We are discussing a suggestion from Holly in our Patreon community, Mercenary Instinct by Ruby Lyons-Drake. Now, we have a lot to talk about, and I have two important notes for you before we start. First, trigger warning and content warning for discussion of the threat of rape and sexual assault off and on throughout this discussion because it's part of the plot that we had a lot to say about. Number two, spoilers ahoy. We can't really talk about the book in detail without sharing the details, right? Our hope is that you read the book too and can follow along and respond to our discussion. But do not worry if you have not read it. I'm going to include a plot summary just before we start our conversation. Among the questions we answer or try to about this book. What were our reactions to the story, the world, and the space, the hero, the heroine, and the surrounding characters? Did the bad guy really need to put out a bounty on the heroine and her crew in the first place? Does hanging out in space make you 22% dumber because of low oxygen and the high chance of bra strangulation? How many other science fiction or space ensembles can we mention in one episode? What is your preference? Hot shower or scary horny sex? How many missed opportunities were there for epic poop jokes? When there's carnivorous plants, velociraptors, a massive storm, and a spaceship crash, when exactly is the best time to make out? We take a brief detour into what we're currently reading, and then we wrap up with our grade. We would love to know what you thought of Mercenary Instinct. You can leave a comment in the podcast show notes. You can call and leave us a message at 1201371 We would love to hear from you and find out what you thought of this book. We had a lot to say. This week's podcast is brought to you by Lady Notorious by Teresa Romaine. Known for her witty, sensuous, and skillfully researched historical romances, Teresa Romaine weaves another wonderfully adventurous tale in Lady Notorious. With a fortune on the line and a bunch of mysterious deaths, Bow Street runner Cassandra Benton agrees to help George, Lord Northbrook, foil a nefarious plot that is targeting his family. Posing as his notorious, quote-unquote, cousin, Cassandra counts on her wit and detective skill to infiltrate the ton and ferret out the murderer. What she does not count on is her irresistible attraction to her dashing employer as Days of investigation quickly turn into passionate nights. With their lives and hearts on the line, can Cass and George unveil the culprit before they end up victims themselves? Lady Notorious by Teresa Romaine is on sale now wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. I read and reviewed this book, and I have to say, Teresa Romaine's writing always works on me. Chest tingles, just piles of them. The transcript this week for this episode is brought to you by our podcast Patreon community. Thank you, y'all. Every episode receives a transcript from Garlic Knitter. Thank you, Garlic Knitter. And if you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, thank you. You are helping me ensure that every episode has a transcript and is therefore accessible to everyone who would like to participate in the show. You are making every episode better, and I appreciate it so very much. If you'd like to join the Patreon community, it would be wonderful. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month, and every pledge is deeply, deeply appreciated. You'll also be part of the group who helps me develop questions for upcoming interviews and suggests guests for shows, and you'll be able to help us choose our quarterly book club selection, as we did with this episode's book. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches, and I thank you very much in advance. I will have links to all of the books and different things that we discuss in this episode in the podcast show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast, and I will have at the end of this episode a summary of what is coming up on Smart Bitches this week and a terrible joke and information about the music you're listening to because, well, the bad joke is one of my favorite things, and I have a terrible joke this week. I'm really excited about it. But before we get started, I need to give you a bit of a plot summary so you understand what is happening in Mercenary Instinct. Now, part of this is inspired by the cover copy, but mostly this is me attempting to explain everything that happens in to set up the book, and there's a lot. So, <clears throat> are you ready? Okay. Here we go. Plot summary time. The book opens with heroine Ankari Markovich scraping the poop of extinct aliens off the walls of a distant dig site. 
She signals to her crew of two people that she's on her way back to the ship, but then she and they are captured by a band of brawny mercenaries. It seems that some rando finance lord has put an absurd bounty on their heads, so the captain of the Mandrake Company, Victor Mandrake, he picks them up. They put up a fight and they nearly get away, but then, boom, they're captured and put in the brig on the Mandrake ship. Now, Ankari wants to escape, Victor wants the bounty, and one of his crew members, Stryker, is so terrible, he should be kicked in the jimmies. So Ankari and her crew are troublesome as she is very wily and street smart and has many schemes in her brain as to how they can escape, including tricking people who deserve it and also tricking people who should be kicked in the nards many times. Victor is kind of intrigued by Ankari and she's pretty curious about him and there's this massive attraction thing going on, but there's also a whole bunch of problems with their acting on that attraction until the finance lord gets all mad that Victor isn't doing exactly what said finance lord wants him to do. So finance lord signals to other more disgusting bounty crews that the prisoners are on board Victor's ship and makes the Mandrake crew vulnerable. The finance lord puts all of them in a position where they have to protect themselves and Ankari's crew who still don't understand why there's a bounty on their heads in the first place. Then it comes time for Victor to turn on Kari in, but enough weird shit has happened that he's pretty sure that's a bad idea, and he'd rather be with Ankari than with all of that money. He still has to deal with his crew, who are expecting their share of that bounty, and this finance lord who lives on an island full of carnivorous plants, as you do, and figure out what to do with his attraction to Ankari, who is still trying to escape from him, as they approach the weird finance lord's island, and come up with a plan to turn her in, but not really, maybe. And now it is time to discuss Mercenary Instinct by Ruby Lionsdrake. What did you guys think of this book? What was your imp- impression of Mercenary Instinct? Now I have to look it up. Is it immer- How many instincts are there? I can't remember. Were there more than one? Is it Mercenary <laughs> Instinct or Mercenary Instincts? I think it's singular. Which one of them had the mercenary instinct? It is a singular. All right. Ruby Lyons Drake only has one instinct for sharing between the two of them. So what did you guys think of the book? It wasn't bad. I would read the next one. Ooh, are you going to read Trial and Temptation? Is that, is that the next one? That is the next one. I will probably read it at some point. It's not like, it's not an immediate one. Like I have to read it right now. I don't think any of the people from the first book are in the second one. No, I think like Lauren and Jane. Wait, I think maybe Jamie is the heroine of the next one. Is, is the cover have like a blonde woman on it? No, Mandrake. <laughs> the Mandrake Company book too has a shirtless guy with some excellent abs and a really nice iliac crest, which is the iliac. Uh, cliff that little curve above the hip and the woman is wearing the finest in space apparel it is a bra i think it's pink with some black lace i believe this style is called a balconette and there is a spaceship set to fly directly into their abdomens so clearly this is a space do not respond well to a balconette bra i will (laughs) tell you that i don't either it's really not good jamie's in the third book that's what i'm thinking oh jamie's in the third one Every time I'm going to go into space, I wear that outfit. Really? Just just the balconette bra with the black lace? Oh, no. Really? Yeah. Oh, Ladies, clasp into your space bras. I just put on my space bra and up I go. Right. I thought there were no bras in space. Because eventually I'll, I'll be, you know, strangled by my own bra. But, you know, in space, mm. no one can hear you bra. <laughs> And also the guy from the Unyielding, which is Call of Crows book three, is the same guy on the cover of book three of the Mandrake Company. Oh, he gets around. He really does. He's like that guy with that crooked smile with the dark hair who hangs out above a lot of cityscapes and a lot of contemporaries. This guy is in space. He's a warrior for a Norse god. This guy's very busy. He's like a Highlander. He's just (laughs) jumping around. (laughs) Carrie, what did you think of Mercenary Instinct? I first started reviewing for Smart Bitches, what, like seven years ago, six years ago? I have no concept of time, but that seems right. I don't know. At that time, I think I would have been really excited about this book. 
I would have been like, oh my God, science fiction romance. This is the best thing ever. Time has passed. And now I'm kind of like, well, this is a perfectly competently written book. It's fun. It's got some fun characters. It's got some fun action, blah, blah, blah. However, I didn't feel like it was super duper original. Um, there were things about it that I got a big kick out of. But on the whole, I was kind of like, uh, you know, carnivorous flowers, check, right? Mercenary teams, check. You know, the 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 um the food logs, those were awesome. Those were awesome. I, I found that to be totally a plausible part of of future mercenary space life. And <laughs> and and that they would be used like in multiple ways, right? You eat them, you throw them at people, you know, I'm I was down with that. But yeah, I, I felt like on the whole it was like it was uh, it was fine. I love how carnivorous plants are a checkbox for you. Well, I mean, they 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 show up often because really, cool. this is this is my first. These are my first carnivorous plants, y'all. Oh, nice. I am a carnivorous plants virgin. Carnivorous or poisonous? Yeah, um, you need to listen to Day of the Triffids on audio. Uh, it's a very old book, so it doesn't really stand up to the test of time. But it's like very campy science fiction. It's batshit insane it's about carnivorous plants coming to earth it's fabulous so i have missed like a whole other world of carnivorous plants correct wow yeah i am just learning so much and we're only a few minutes in yes at least what did you think sorry it was jay of the triffids was published in 1951 so there that's what you get yourself into um I liked the book. I thought it was a fun kind of adventure sci-fi romance. I had some major issues with the plot, though, and I don't know. Did I just miss it? I'm going to jump right into what bothered me. Did I just miss something or, like, why did Felgard have to hire a mercenary team to capture these women? Why couldn't he just, like, invest in their company? Yeah, I'm with you on that. There were so many less complicated ways to get their help. And then he's like, oh, but I'm the one who blew up your planet. Of course you wouldn't want to work for me. And then the heroine was like, I didn't know that. So. (laughs) Yeah, I have to confess that eventually I kind of stopped following the plot at all. And by (laughs) by eventually, I think I mean around page three. And this is like my jam, right? Like sci-fi is like my jam. But it was it was kind of like they took all the fun sci-fi elements they could and I salute them for it, right? They have the firefly-like thing going on and they have the quirky right. scientist thing going on and they've got the, you know, the, the planet full of velociraptors going on. Why? Why? Because it's cool, right? Because there right. you are in a spaceship. Should you stay in it? Well, it's suspended in a tree. But on the other hand, you know, so it, they just took everything and they just threw it at the wall under rule of cool. And I'm pretty down with rule of cool. So I found it entertaining, but like, it was not long before I went, Oh, this is not a plot book. I'm just not going to worry about it. Nothing is going to make sense at all. I had no problem with the bad guy being like, I'm going to put a bounty on your head and I'm going to control you because that's what evil dudes do. And Felgard did blow up their planets. I mean, once they figured that out, I, I actually have they a little... figure it out. He straight up told them. Right, like... exactly. If they had figured that out while they were working for him, it would have been like another 400 pages. He was just like, no, nah, put a bounty on your heads because I'm evil, right. but I don't want to die. Why, so poop. Why couldn't it have been like a strictly monetary business transaction? Like they didn't really have to get too in depth. I feel like their company would have been cool with like having an investor and like that would have been it. See, I think that would have changed the plot because if they found out that he had blown up their planet, or is it just on Kari's planet? I don't think the other two are from the same. It's just on Kari's planet. And yeah. and Dude's planet. Like, he blew up their planets. I think that once they would have found out, they would have been stuck with him. I don't think he blew up Grenovine. I think he blew up Sparrow, oh. which was in Kari's planet. I don't remember how Grenovine was And Sarah, up. the crucial element that I, perhaps too harshly, feel that you're missing is that with regard to but if then the plot 
is that if anybody at any point in the book had engaged in any reasonable activity whatsoever, there would have been no plot. Well, yeah, but they're in space. It's low oxygen. You're dumb when you've got low oxygen. <laughs> they're probably all strangled by their bras. It cuts off. And drunk. Like I've seen people, I've seen, I've seen footage of, of airplanes taking off and then flying into low oxygen um, altitudes just to measure the effects on people. And people just get stupid drunk. Maybe they're all low on oxygen and they're just really kind of dumb and drunk on low oxygen levels. Well, in theory, inside your ship, where most things took place, you're not at a low oxygen level. One would hope, but right, like, you know. When you have a prisoner, you check their pockets. And if the prisoner is known to have successfully picked a pocket, then you make sure to check their pockets, like all the time. Or you give them, here's the thought, clothes without pockets. That is quite a statement, yes. I know, it can happen. So, I mean, you know, it's just it's a rule of cool fun book. I don't think that they were really going off of off of, you know, but does it really This is more fiction than science, you're saying? This is more fiction than science. Although I was super nerdy thrilled about the whole like microbiota thing, but I was also like, oh my god, so many awful things are wrong with this plan. But it was an interesting plan because it ties in so closely to all this like cutting edge research that's happening now with regard to like gut biome. Plus, I really liked it that, you know, what's her name? And Kari is like, you know, hanging out with her captor slash boyfriend. And she's like, your gut flora are probably really great. And I'm like, that was that was a fine moment in literature, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I was like, yes, that's awesome. It was funny. It was in character. It was fabu. But yeah, like the whole biota thing. I was like, okay, on one hand, this is really neat that they're tying into it into something that's happening now. And on the other hand, this is alien gut bacteria. Okay, I could. I I think I could fill too much time if if I'm allowed to continue talking about the gut flora. <laughs> I one of my questions is how many missed opportunities were there for poop jokes? There were so many. There were a couple. Yeah, there were a couple, but it could have been so much more. There could have been so many more poop jokes. That's the thing that I think disappointed me the most. Like I have to be clear, I have read very little, if any, science fiction romance. I might have read some science fiction erotic romance way back in the day when Alora's Cave was a going concern. Um. But I don't think, I mean, I don't even remember like what my name is and what year it is, but I don't think I've read that much science fiction romance. So this was entirely new for me. I was here for, you know, human eating plants, but the missed opportunities for poop jokes, very disappointing. I just think like my level of cynicism with the fact that we're currently living in an oligarchy makes me feel that he would have been more evil if he had just bought her zero revenue company and then controlled the direction of his research versus put a bounty out on these women. Ooh, that's a good one. That's yeah, true. But that's then there would have been no reason for mercenaries with Manchester and guns. And knife throwing. Yes, can't forget the knife, the knife throwing. So the other thing, aside from the plot that bothered me, was that I got kind of a weird rapey vibe from parts of the book. Yeah, that that yeah, I needed okay, to talk about so, that too. First of all, there's obviously like a power dynamic here where she is his captive. So you're just going to have to accept that their relationship is something that she's fully consenting to and engaged in, despite the fact that she has no power in this situation and is literally a captive. And if captivity romance is your thing, like that's totally cool. But I was not crazy about the other mercenaries who were the bad guys threatening to rape the women. And I also was not like, I was super, super not okay when Stryker was like, Hey, can't we just have sex with the hostages and the hero's like, well, I guess if you can get him to agree to it and you all stay in the same room. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, that that stopped me cold. I was like, oh. wait, no, that's not the right answer to that question, dude. Like that's when, when that happened, I had to stop and I had to make sure that Stryker does not appear as a hero anywhere down the line of this series, or I was just gonna straight 
straight up quit the fucking book. Oh my God, I did the same thing. He's not a hero so far that shows up and I pray to God that he never does. Well, and you know what really pissed me? So I realized this is a case, again, of bad nerd priorities, okay? I'm appalled about the rape. Yes, yes, I am. But also, this is a science fiction romance. It should know its audience. It, it The whole, like, well, he draws comics, and that's a sign of him being stupid. I kept thinking they would come back to that, and his comics would be, like, incredibly sensitive and brilliant, and it would show that he had layers. And then I would be mad that he had layers because he's also, like, a rapist, right? But, right. But there would be some kind of twist. But no. No. It was, like, up front. Like, ooh, <laughs> comic books. And I'm like... Who, who, who out there still believes, is there anyone so ignorant that they still believe that reading and writing comic books is a sign of illiteracy and or low intelligence? If so, contact me. See, I don't think that's what she was trying to do at all. I think she was trying to do the comic book thing as he's an idiot and misguided but he also like there's more to him than just being like a skeevy dude like he also is like kind of like trying to round him out as a person like he has hobbies and passions and like he's not supposed to be a bad guy yeah but they never went into it like they never did the thing where like they showed that his comics were really cool and they just kept bringing it up not like but he does comics more like and you can tell he's dumb because he does comics like other characters like use that as evidence that he I disagree with that shorthand I didn't read it as like oh just because he's into comics and wants to show people his comics that means he's stupid I just think he thinks it's something that he's proud of that he wants people to see what, it's like it's a bad pickup line when he's not threatening to rape prisoners. Hey, you want to come to my bunk and see my comics? Yeah, he's like really proud of his comics. I th- I think I I agree with you, Amanda. I think that it was an it was an attempt to give him some dimension or some nuance, but it didn't go right. deep enough. Forgive me for any of it <laughs> to override the hey. If they all agree, yeah. can I have sex with our prisoners? Yeah, and then later on. Um, the the mercenaries okay so first there's a bounty on these three women and mercenary hero group the the mandrake company picks them up and then they go somewhere else and uh bounty guy is mad that he's not you know being delivered his captives immediately so he sends out another company or in, incentivizes another company to go take the original captives from the mandate group so now they have to protect the people that they're trying to turn in that group is like we're just going to rape everybody oh we're just- yeah they were just, they were like, yeah, oh yeah, this is part of the deal. We capture the people and we rape the people and then we turn the people in. So they had like absolutely zero redeeming qualities. I wonder, and I'm suspicious that the the comics thing was a way to give him some form of nuance. I don't think it was that he was stupid because the people who had seen them, there was some expression of appreciation from other characters. Well, he, he was hiding his like pen name. Do you remember? Right. Like he's like, don't. If you talk to so and so, like, don't tell him who I, I think, am because, like, I think he wanted to keep like his mercenary life and his comic book life separate. But then well, again, I like, mean, that why? wasn't explained. No, and he was still wanting to go have sex with the prisoners if they all agreed when they don't have any power to say really no. I think for me, the TV show The Expanse has really upped my expectations of like the space marine mercenary kind of beefcake who's maybe not super smart just because of Amos. So I was hoping Stryker was going to be an Amos character who from the exterior looks kind of not, not very smart and is super tough, but then you find out really has a lot of self-awareness and emotional fluency and that did not happen at all. And it bummed me out. I think Amos is pretty smart. I'll throw down for that. I think Amos is like kind of, that's his, one of his hidden layers. I can buy that. We could do a whole podcast on Amos, to be honest. Right, yeah. Like, as soon as I said that, I was like, Carrie, don't say it. Because now we are obligated. See, Sarah and Amanda don't understand this. The next 40 minutes is devoted to discussing Amos. Like, why would we talk about anything else? (laughs) Yeah. Really. So aside from Stryker, the would-be rapist who draws pictures, 
What did you guys think of the hero, Victor? I wish Grenovine wasn't gone because that planet sounds so fun. And I would have loved to have seen scenes on Grenovine. And I liked that his name was Willow because it reminded me of the movie. I didn't think he was super um, three-dimensional. You know, I mean, there were little bits of nuance, like his name being Willow, the fact that I guess he stands up when he eats, which is a little weird, but okay. Um, <laughs> he doesn't st- sit down. Like, he's got a sitting right. problem. He chairs in his room. But, like, that was kind of it. He was a little bit sort of like the copy and paste action hero. Hero. I didn't, I didn't get a lot out of him. In fact, I thought some of the secondary characters were more interesting like I wanted to know more about Sergeant Hazel and even Tick I thought had the potential to be a really really interesting character but um, yeah he was kind of vanilla there was a lot of things that were mentioned that had the potential to really be interesting in terms of the character development Um, for example he has a really big attachment to like people who are from his home planet and I would have liked to know like how they all discovered each other and they mentioned like they used to be all like crimson ops and I would like to understand more about like how the government and crimson ops worked out and why like these people are now mercenaries so they like dropped a lot of background stuff but it was never like fully explained especially in how it related to Victor as a person I felt like he was very um influ well a lot of the characters were very firefly influenced like especially towards the beginning of the book when we don't know him as well you know he's got the I lost tragic backstory he's got the long coat you know He's the mercenary who's done really bad things, but he sort of has a heart of gold, but maybe not. But he's not, he doesn't have that, he doesn't have that level of like charm or self-deprecation right. that I can't think of the main character from Firefly. Yeah. Now. Now, thank you. Now. He doesn't have that. And I think for me, that's part of why it didn't work. The The book actually reminded me most of the TV show Altered Carbon. I don't know if any of you watched that. I've never heard of it. I know it's on Netflix. That's that's all I got. Same. It's kind of like a it it reminds me a little bit of Blade Runner. Basically, um the main character is brought back to life after being killed. He's like put into another body, which is a thing you can do in the future. So, like really rich people get to stay young and beautiful forever and just kind of go from one body to the next. Uh and he has to solve a, a mystery, a, a basically a murder mystery and um it has a lot to do with, again, kind of like a classist society where if you're really wealthy, um, certain things like disease and aging don't really affect you. And it kind of, I got that vibe a little bit from the Felgard character wanting to extend his own life the way he did and kind of bringing in this mercenary hero to facilitate that. I don't know. It just felt similar in vibe to that TV show. I think the the thing with Altered Carbon, though, to be aware of is that the main character, his name is Takeshi, and he was Asian before he was put into a new body, which is a white dude, which is all kinds of problematic whitewashing. But yeah, he's a, he's a mercenary who's brought back from the dead specifically to do a mission for a super wealthy guy who doesn't have to have any consequences in life because he's super wealthy. I did like that the super wealthy bad guy in this in this case got eaten by his own plants. That was... That was good. I was in favor. What did you guys think of the heroine and the women that she was with? I liked that she and the two other women have such vastly different backgrounds. And I liked that they kind of all knew their role and all knew their limitations. And what I really liked, I really liked Jamie, surprisingly, even though I was worried it was she was going to be too like infantilized in a way, but I liked how whenever they're trying to get out of something, they're like, Oh, can you fly it? And she's like, listen, I don't know anything. You need to give me a manual so I can read it. Like it was very practical. (laughs) That's what I liked. I mean, and Kari kind of has that, like, you know, grew up on the streets and had to be a pickpocket backstory, but I liked that. 
you know, starting a small business and like building something from the ground up meant so much to her. Like the story that she tells Victor about her and her dad, I really liked a lot. Um, I liked her more than I liked Victor, but it's not like I disliked either one of them either. I agree. I did like her a lot. And my favorite scenes were always her interacting with her team. Because not only did they give each other shit, but they had each other's backs. And she felt responsible for them, but also got out of their way. Yeah. Like, she had respect for the things that they could do that she'd hired them for. And she also knew that, like, that was their lane. Like, she knew – Yeah. She once – I think she said it several times. She's like, the whole, like, bio stuff, that is not my thing. That's Lauren's thing. I am just here to, like, organize and be the leader. I will scrape the poop off the walls and then my job here is done. And then someone else will look at that poop and then the other woman will (laughs) transport the poop to wherever we need to go. (laughs) So much poop jokes. So even Zeb is mad that there are no poop jokes. Very upset about this. Carrie, what did you think of the women? Um, well, I did like it that it opened with the poop collection scene. And yes, with all of you, I mourn the lack of more poop jokes. But, you know, just the fact that, like, I like it when people portray science as, like, tedious and gross. Because I think that often science is tedious and gross. Um, uh, so, you know, that was cool. Um, I, I don't know. This is fine. I like it that the team is all women and nobody's like, oh, wow, your team is all women. Or oh, I wanted to pick them all because they're women, right? They're just, you know, they're, they just happen to be three women, unless there's a part that I missed, which is highly possible. Maybe there is a part where she says, I really wanted to pick a team of all women. But I didn't notice that being like a big thing that people remarked on or cared about. It was, um, except possibly in the sense of they didn't have anybody who whose lane was security and kicking ass and that was a problem for them um and if that person were a woman i don't think anybody would say oh wow your team of four is all women like no one cared so i like that i i i i just don't think i would choose to make out with people in some of the situations that she and victor choose to make out in i i just oh yeah danger boner i for mean sure. to, quote, to quote eleanor <laughs> from the good place Scary horny is the best kind of horny. (laughs) She stole like a futuristic iPad, right? She's got it in her pocket and she has the opportunity to be like, whoa, hands off, buddy. And instead she's like all over him. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Take your stolen tablet and run. Run, girl, run. I'm I don't know. Maybe my romantic heart is turning dead and cold because I'm like, oh, just go, go back to your book like anybody else. <laughs> the part after they they hike through the jungle after nearly being eaten by velociraptors and it's pouring rain and everyone's super exhausted and probably smells really bad. And if a velociraptor was going to attack me, I definitely pee at least a little bit, if not like full, <laughs> full <laughs> letting go, right? And then she's like, and now it's time for a blowy. And you're like, what? She go to bed. She showered, go, no, you need like a, You need like eight hours of solid sleep after shit like that. I'm sorry. I'm on board with scary horny. So no, I'm, I'm no, in you, the- you like a good danger boner. Well, I just said like scary horny is the best kind of horny. What? Like this could be it. Let's do it. Yeah. You like, it's one of those things where like you're in such an intense situation that the only outlet you have is to have like dirty, gross sex after you get out of a jungle. She didn't have like, did he shower though? Like she Why just not? gave him a blowjob. No, he did change his clothes, so I'm assuming oh, well, he showered. You, he definitely had massive ball <laughs> sweat from hiking through the jungle <laughs> in the rain. Like those those nuts were stanky, is Maybe where I'm at. Put that way, I'm not gonna judge her. <laughs> and Ooh. if we're in scary horny territory, and I think like this is gonna be my last hurrah, we're not just gonna go with the blowjob. Come on, 
Well, okay. that will remind me never to be in a, like, a do-or-die situation with you, Elise, because I will be up shit creek without a paddle. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I think that we can differentiate between the danger boner of the We Have Escaped Velociraptors, which to me comes down to, like, consenting adults and personal preference, right? Like, that is not my jam. But if they want to do that, fine. And the capture prisoner boner which has creepy overlays and for both people one of whom knows she picks pockets and one of whom just picked a pocket that is a different situation because that involves really bad judgment they're both exercising terrible terrible judgment and i just don't believe that any okay now, I feel like people are going to, like, mail order these men to my door now. I'd, I'm going to throw down. I don't believe anyone's that hot. If if Tom Hiddleston was standing in front of me, and I had just stolen something from him, and I had to use it to escape to get off his ship before I was raped by his second-in-command, I would not make out with him. That was part one of my problems with the hero, that... His no was not like, no, that's not a thing we do. You have this sense of morality about your mercenary activities that should extend to sexual violence. Right. Like, maybe you should definitely, like, the correct answer was punching Stryker in the face. Like, that was the, that was the correct answer. I needed. Well, can you kick him in the crotch, then punch him in the face? Because he'll be bent over. It'll be easier to hit his face. If you have read science fiction romance, we touched on this a little bit. How did this book fit in with your expectations of the genre? I know, Carrie, you said that this seemed very familiar because you've read a lot of science fiction. What about what about you, Elise? So I have to um, I have to use the caveat that the science fiction romance I've read has mostly just been weird fucking, right? <laughs> so like, it's been novellas that I've read specifically because they're crazy sauce Pause for the for site because someone has. <laughs> tentacles. I just, what? I just picture Elise going into a bookstore and be like, can you put me in the direction of your weird fucking section, please? <laughs> um, you know, like the World War One Lovecraftian demon on a submarine uh, <laughs> novella that I read and reviewed. Like, that's my experience with alien okay, romance. Okay, I must be like 12. Did you say the semen on the submarine? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, there, there was a there was World War One U boats, tentacle demon, tons of butt sex. It was super weird. Also, a lot of the the romances I've read, the hero's been an alien, and they're always blue. And I don't know what the deal with that is, like why they're blue. But apparently, that's a common theme. So I was a little disappointed by Victor's lack of blueness. Um, it read more to me like. A, a science fiction book than a romance just because the sci-fi romance that I'm familiar with is kind of batshit crazy. So you were expecting like tentacles. Oh, for sure. And quite frankly, Shifters. a little disappointed because if you have the opportunity to work some tentacles in there, I just think you should well, do there it. There was that scene on the dinosaur planet where they noticed like the vines started like moving and like really like covered, like they looked away and then it looked back at the ship and the vines were had almost completely covered the dashboard. So it was like sentient vines was the feeling I got from it. That was a missed opportunity. <laughs> I, I would like to retract my earlier statement because on further reflection, I don't think I've read sci-fi romance so much as I've read weird monster fucking books. And they're probably not the same thing. No, they're no, it's really not. Probably I, not. I, I've read some of both and, and I, and they're very, they are very different, which is odd because they're mostly different in terms of the trappings, but um, they, it seems like if you have tentacles, then you're, you're relegated straight to the erotica section, which, you know, need not necessarily be the case. I don't know. Well, I mean, I wrote an entire chapter of tentacle porn for my first book. Um, I remember it vividly. It was my birthday and I wrote tentacle porn for many hours and it is not an easy task. I mean, writing sex generally is very difficult, but I will say writing tentacle porn was some of the hardest things, no pun intended, I've ever done. So would you recommend this book if someone was curious about science fiction romance? Would you recommend this book to them? There are others I would recommend first before 
before recommending this one. Like if if this is someone's first taste of sci-fi romance, I don't think this would be my first choice. I enjoyed the book. I think I might be the least discerning out of the four of us. But I don't think this would be my first or even second choice for a sci-fi romance recommendation. Yeah, I'd give it kind of a solid C. It wasn't the best book I ever read. It was good. There were some plot points that I wasn't crazy about, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd probably give it like a C, C minus. I I don't think that I would recommend it as an entry-level book, though. If somebody was like, oh my god, I've read all this stuff, you know, and and then I'd be like, oh, you should try this book. It's a rollicking good time, but it's it's not high on my list for like an entry point for people. See, I... As I am completely unfamiliar with science fiction romance, I went into this like, okay, sure. I like the idea that you can have references to Earth or old Earth or whatever used to be Earth, and you can create all of these different worlds and then have them no longer exist to inform the characters. I thought that was a really interesting way to construct a world. Um, and I and I liked it a lot in terms of it, here is romantic action. It's not quite suspense. It's more like action adventure in space uh, with mercenaries and some threats of assault more than I like. The thing that I learned from this book, though, is that I need more internal conflict with my characters. I need romance characters to have more internal conflict between them because it felt like for this book, a lot of the conflict was external. There were things working against them and they had horny pants and then they had uh, swampy, humid blowjobs. And if you guys want to bang, that's fine. Okay, go ahead. Maybe that is what does it for you. But I need more internal conflict in the characters in order to get really engaged with the romance. And I don't think this had enough of that because their goals were still running parallel, but were never really connected. The part where they connected over having destroyed worlds was the part that I wanted to read more of, and it wasn't enough, or there wasn't enough in the book. Yeah, with it just being external, because I feel the same way about a lot of the romances I read, once the external obstacle has been overcome, whether it's like a big bad or whatever, that's it. It's like game over. There's no reason why we can't be together now. You know what I mean? Um, Whereas if there's more like internal conflict, plus external it's more i don't know i like that this is one of the reasons why I feel like i'm not a big super fan of like friends to lovers or anything like that because it's too easy for them like i want my couple to like what? crawl through hellfire and their own you know family baggage at the same time they're crawling through literal hellfire with carnivorous plants to make it work our tastes are so different and i love it (laughs) love it so much (laughs) but i agree that it was mostly external and that was like what the hell is this deal with this bounty and like who is felgard i've never met him why does he want me um but there wasn't like a reason the hero and heroine couldn't be together you know what i mean except for the power dynamic I mean, but, like, once he decided not to give her up, like, that's the end of the power dynamic, you know? Like, once he committed that, like, you know, we're going to work together to figure this out, that was kind of it, in my opinion. I think I kind of like a combination, because when people only have internal conflict, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, go to frickin' therapy, get your shit together, and then, you know, get together. And when there's only external conflict, I mean, sometimes that's too easy to resolve. Sometimes it's too hard to resolve, you know? So then we get into all our drama about historicals and happy endings and it gets very confusing and, and can get problematic really quickly. But, um, but I do like having a mix and there was a real missed opportunity for a mix here in the sense that they could say, okay, well, we've removed the external conflict but why does this still feel kind of awkward? And the awkward could be that they both have this legacy of grief and they can't open up emotionally and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of ways they could have combined the two to make a more overall richer experience. All right. So I always ask anything you guys are reading that you want to talk about. Yes. 
Tell me all about it. Are people are people crawling through? Yes, yes. Bad things are happening, and I love it. <laughs> so the so the, the carnivorous plants of their emotions are devouring them from the inside, and they're crawling through a, a, a field of carnivorous plants. There is blood magic. A monastery has been taken over. There's a century long war. There's a woman who can speak to gods, and she's been blessed by the goddess of death. Like, yes, things are happening, Sarah. All is well. Yeah, it's called Wicked Saints. It's called Wicked Saints by Emily A. Duncan. Um, And I like tweeted at her last night (laughs) because I started the book. And I was like, this book is a villain-loving goth girl's dream, which is exactly what I love. And she responded. She's like, that's exactly what I intended it to be. Um. So it's dark, it's YA, but it's very violent, it's very graphic, it's really good, it's really atmospheric, it's definitely got a gothic vibe to it, I think you would like it, Elise, and it's out um, in April, April 2nd, but there are assassins, oh, okay, there we go, it's um, inspired by Slavic polytheism. Um, it's very interesting so far. It is one of my most like anticipated books and I've seen images of the finished copies floating around on Twitter and there's like a beautiful map in the end pages and yeah, it's dark and like haunting and there's anti-heroes and eye patches and magic and all of my favorite things. Dude. Yeah, that's what I'm reading. How are you even talking to us right now and not like just going, uh-huh, while you read a book? It's hard. I had some coffee, so I <laughs> couldn't concentrate on a book for this. <laughs> Elise, is there anything you're reading you want to talk about? I'm reading Burnout, which... That's did, so um, good. It really, really is. It comes out next Tuesday. So it's nonfiction about dealing with burnout and emotional stress, specifically as a woman, um, which is a topic that I definitely need some help on. So that's good. And then I'm kind of taking a little brain vacation and playing Diablo with my husband. So I've been running around the Diabloverse killing monsters and undead. I mean, I remember when I had bad days when I was in college, I knew the cheat code to give myself all of the weapons in Doom, which you had to boot up from DOS. Like you couldn't run it through Windows. You had to reboot in DOS and run Doom. I would give myself all the weapons and I would just melt every motherfucker that came my way. And I felt much better after like 10 minutes. Gaming with Rich is a unique experience. So he's playing a necromancer that he named Trent. As you do. (laughs) As you do. And he's just got this ongoing narration from Trent's perspective about his new band and how they were ska, but now they're emo and like he'll kill someone and then he'll feel really bad because that was Karen and she came to one of their concerts once, but she didn't buy their demo D their demo CD. Like it's just this (laughs) ongoing stream of consciousness thing. And sometimes I'm like, I love you. Shut up. He is fanficking his own character. I love it. Uh, Yes. Nice. Carrie, is there anything you're reading that you want to talk about? Yeah, so it occurred to me that I I think I should say that Mercenary Instinct, I think, suffered because it was buried in the midst of this vast pile of books that I'm reading super, super, super fast. And I think that was hard on Mercenary Instinct. I'm sorry, Mercenary Instinct, that I wedged you in between a whole bunch of other stuff, most of which was incredibly cool. Um, but I did, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I just finished reading that I'm reviewing, but I want to give a shout out to the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. Yeah, I love Murderbot. So don't anyone spoil it because one of the things I have to read after Mercenary Instinct is the last two novellas, which again, can't have been good for Mercenary Instinct. I'm sorry, book. I should adjust my grade like half a grade higher just because I was like, okay, as soon as I finish this, I can read Murderbot. I should have just read Murderbot first. Murderbot's so um, good. Okay, so the first novella in the Murderbot Diaries is All Systems Red. And um, it's so good. It's so fun. And it's inventive. And it's like angsty and goofy and weird and crazy. And the novellas are short. So if you're stressed, you can read it fast, which is really nice. Um, 
yeah, I am very much digging Murderbot. So the the premise of Murderbot, because I think people need to know this, they're really short sci-fi novellas where um, the first book, it's a group of scientists who are exploring a planet for the possibility of terraforming. And they have a, it's an android, right? It's kind of a cyborg system. So it's, it has organic parts and inorganic parts that consist of both hardware and software. And it's a, a genderless, um, basically security bot that is supposed to keep them safe while they're on this planet. And there's the prevailing theory that if the the security bots ever like hacked their own um, regulators, they would turn into like crazy murdering machines and would kill humanity and take over kind of like, um, I'm tr- what's the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Terminator, right? Yeah. Except the main character, Murderbot, has hacked its regulator and all it wants to do is watch streaming television. Why not? And is mostly like kind of annoyed and amused by its human subjects who it now has to protect from things. And it's like super socially awkward and doesn't want to interact with the human. It's really funny and subversive and, and a good read. I am currently reading A Dangerous Collaboration, which is the fourth Veronica Speedwell book. Veronica Speedwell is a lepidopterist. She's a butterfly hunter. And she partners early in the series with a guy named um, Stoker. I think his real name is Revel Stoke Templeton Vane. There's a hyphen <laughs> in the Of course it is, like, as obviously, naturally. She and he have a very uh, intense um, attraction, but she has very specific rules. She will not engage with ca- in casual sex in England because the English are all too uptight. So she does all of her casual sexing around the world, which she has done like several times because she hunts butterflies for a living. In this one, she is put on a remote island off the, off the end of Cornwall. Um, she's tempted by Stoker's brother to pretend to be his fiance because that always works out um, in order to get larvae of a particular butterfly that she wants to create, uh, to put in her what's it called? I think it's a vivarium. The thing about the book that I love is not only is there a mystery going on, but the way that Deanna Rayborn displays the research into the setting of her characters is through words that I'm not familiar with. So I get introduced to words that fit perfectly in the setting, but I have to look them up. And I find this fascinating. And so it's not constant. It's not like every other page. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? For example, there's a map on the wall and it's described as foxed. And I didn't know what that meant. It turns out that when a map or something, an old paper has brown spots, almost like rust, that's called foxing. I had no idea. So then I went down the Wikipedia rabbit hole of rare books and what happens to paper when it gets old as hell. But the way that she just drops little pieces of contextualized vocabulary in the setting is so fun. And I'm just at the part where things are getting like super freaky. There's ghosts possibly, or someone pretending to be a ghost. And because she, uh, Veronica is a scientist and Stoker is a historian, they're both like, yeah, bullshit. So, and I think there's an obscene painting on a harpsichord involved. Like there's a lot going on and I am so here for it. I mean, who doesn't want obscene paintings on their harpsichords, right? I know I do. Right. So what would, I know Carrie, you said maybe a C plus B minus. Would, do you guys have a grade for mercenary instinct? B minus for me. I'm going to go just a solid C. I would say a solid B. So somewhere in the B minus C plus range would be our average. Amanda, if you read book two or just skip ahead to book three, I don't know if that's a thing you can do. Do you skip ahead? I refuse. Okay. So (laughs) if you do book book two, (laughs) (laughs) because I would just be like, screw book two. I want to read about the guy who looks like he's from the Lawrenceton books and the chick with cool hair. No, I, I need to know about those space bras, Sarah. Oh, right. Space bras. We talked about them. Now we need to know about them. That could be a really good way to market all these bras I see on Instagram. Like this is the bra in space. Like I would pay attention to them. Will, will it keep your <laughs> boobs situated in zero Gs? <laughs> these Gs will not move in zero Gs. That's a good ad. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to extend a special thanks to Holly who made the suggestion for this book. While we didn't unilaterally love it, I had a lot of fun reading this one. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you would like to share with us what you thought of Mercenary Instinct, we would really like to know. 
What did you think? Are you a fan of science fiction romance? Do you have other recommendations that you think we should read? What did you think of this book? How many times should Stryker be kicked in the narts? I mean, this is a good question. Leave a comment or call us and leave a message at 1201-371-3272. And if you'd like to email us privately, you don't want to share your thoughts publicly, that is also cool. You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. This week's podcast is brought to you by Lady Notorious by Teresa Romaine. Known for her witty, sensuous, and skillfully researched historical romances, Teresa Romaine weaves another wonderfully adventurous tale in Lady Notorious. With a fortune on the line and a bunch of mysterious deaths, Bow Street runner Cassandra Benton agrees to help George, Lord Northbrook, foil a nefarious plot targeting his family. Posing as his notorious, quote-unquote, cousin, Cassandra counts on her wit and her detective skill to infiltrate the taunt and ferret out the murderer. What she didn't count on was her irresistible attraction to her dashing employer, as days of investigation quickly turn into passionate nights. With their lives and hearts on the line, can Cass and George unveil the culprit before they end up victims themselves? Lady Notorious by Teresa Romaine is on sale now wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. The transcript this week is brought to you by our podcast Patreon community. Thank you, everyone, so very much. Our podcast transcripts are compiled by Garlic Knitter. Thank you, Garlic Knitter. If you would like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 per month. And you will be part of the group who helps me develop questions, suggest guests, and helps us pick our quarterly book club club selections. Have a look at all of the options at patreon.com slash smartbitches. And if you have made a pledge to say that what we do here is worth a dollar or more of your very precious money, we very, very much appreciate that. Thank you. Coming up on Smart Bitches this week, we have so many things, but... Oops, I forgot to tell you about the music, so I'm going to do that first. The music you are listening to is from Caravan Palace. It is provided to us by Sassy Outwater, and this track is called Le Caravan. Now, you can find their two-album set, Caravan Palace and Panic, on Amazon and iTunes and wherever you buy your funky music. And this is great music to cook or work or write to if you can listen to things with lyrics while you write. Most of the lyrics are not in English, but I can't listen to voices while I'm writing. However, I listen to this album set while I'm cooking or when I'm stitching. It's a lovely, lovely two album set. And the music is funky and different. So if you like it, have a look. And thank you to Sessie Outwater for the music. Now it is time for what's coming up on Smart Bitches. Ready? Okay, it's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for our monthly thread that everyone loves. What you're reading. You tell us what you are reading. We tell you what we're reading. And then we all buy more books. Because even though we do this every month, I personally never learn anything except how much I love to buy books that sound interesting. I love this thread. It is such a fun thread. I hope you will come and hang out and tell us what you're reading. Then we have some lightning reviews and some full-length reviews of new titles, including coming out this week, Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski, which we mentioned in this episode. Holy smokes, are you going to want to read this book? It's incredible. And as a sneak preview, I can tell you that I have an interview with Emily and Amelia Nagoski for next week's podcast, where we go very deep into the different parts of this book. So get ready for that, too. We also have a new edition of Cover Snark, Books on Sale, and Help a Bitch Out. So I hope you will stop by and hang out with us. The site is always better when you are there. I will have links to all of the books and some of the discussions that we talked about in this episode in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And now it is time for our terrible, terrible joke. Are you ready for a terrible joke? This book is terrible. Okay. What was left after the French cheese factory demolition? What was left after the French cheese factory demolition? Debris. Okay. <laughs> Debris. Okay. I uh, I have a, I have a thing for cheese jokes. <laughs> like that whole joke about cheese that not that's not yours never fails to make me laugh. So apparently bad jokes about cheese are a thing and I didn't know it was a thing but now I do so I'm very happy. That joke comes from James Doe 72 on Reddit. Thank you, sir. Debris. 
So whether or not you like cheese or cheese jokes, on behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you here next week. Voici la qui t'emmène, le string est sur les bords de scène. La caravane qui t'emmène, le string est sur les bords de scène. La caravane qui t'emmène, le string est sur les bords de scène. La caravane qui t'emmène, le string est sur les bords de scène. La caravane